Well, good morning to each one and greetings in Jesus name. Certainly counted a privilege to be here with you folks today. On the way up this morning, my wife and I were discussing when we were here last, and I'm not even exactly sure when that was, but due to COVID and some trades that happened, it's been quite a while. So it's good to be here at Pike again. For a message today, I invite you to the book of Galatians. Back home, I have been preaching through the fruit of the Spirit, found in chapter 5 of Galatians. And today I want to share one of those messages with you. But before I do, let me just say a few things about the book of Galatians. The churches in Galatia were made up of both Jewish and Gentile converts. Paul's purpose in writing to these churches was to confirm them in the faith, especially concerning justification by faith in Jesus Christ, apart from the works of the law of Moses. And if you're there in Galatians chapter 1, we see the concern in verse 6 and 7. Paul writes, Galatians 1, 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so Paul's ultimate goal for this writing of Galatians is to prevent the believers from embracing a false gospel and to encourage them to retain their spiritual freedom in Christ. And so now, going on to chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 1, begins with, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ hath made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Here in, the, here in chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul is concerned for the believers in two ways. First, he was concerned about the legalism ditch, which was robbing them of their freedom in Christ. But at the same time, Paul was concerned about the other ditch, using liberty as an opportunity for the flesh instead of serving one another in love. And so Paul was attempting to show the Galatians the middle of the road. Notice verse 16, 17, and 18 of chapter 5. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so Paul, I believe, is saying the key to staying in the middle of the road and avoiding the extreme ditches is walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Verse 19 through 21, we have a lengthy list of the sins of the flesh, which is concluded with the words, those who practice such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then that brings us to verse 22 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so that's just a brief overview of the book of Galatians. Today I want for us to consider the fruit goodness. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. What is goodness? And how is it different from the previous fruit, kindness? Well, these two fruits certainly have much in common. Kindness, as we find it here, means to want to help others, to encourage or comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits them. Now, the meaning of the fruit goodness is similar, but more with the thought of generous or generosity. Now, we often use the word good with a title or a function. We say things like, she is a good cook, or he is a good mechanic, she is a good teacher, he is a good doctor. Generally, when we use such titles, we are acknowledging these folks are good at what they do. However, the fruit of the Spirit goodness is more than just being good at what we do. It's even more than just being a good person. The Bible tells us that our righteousness our own righteousness is but filthy rags in the sight of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, or not of our own goodness, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ, Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the fruit of goodness is part of the evidence of a changed heart. It's part of the new creation in Jesus Christ. We are now his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I want to begin today by looking first at the goodness of God, and then we will look at one Bible character who gives us an example of goodness, and then finish by looking at scripture that encourages goodness in the life of the Christian. Now, goodness is not necessarily fairness. And I want to show you an example of this in a parable of Jesus. 
Goodness is not necessarily fairness. And I invite you to Matthew 20, and I'd like to read 1 through 15. Now at first, when you think of that, it may not strike you as a positive thing. But I believe as we read this parable, and as we think about it, we will begin to understand that goodness, not necessarily being fairness, is a tremendous blessing to us as Christians. Matthew 20, verse one. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. About the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they received, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Now, the word good in the end of verse 15, and the fruit, goodness, come from the same Greek word, and have the thought of generous. Now, what happened in this parable doesn't seem fair to me at all. If I would have been one of the men who would have started early in the day, worked through the heat of the day, I would have had my opinion about this as well believe me. But you see, goodness doesn't always worry about what is strictly fair, but rather will like to err on the side of generosity and kindness. You see, it was not the men's fault that they had been hired only towards the end of the day. And like the others, they too needed a day's wages. They needed money to be able to provide for their families. So the landlord chooses to be good or generous towards their needs, rather than being strictly fair 
in relation to all the workers and pay them only a fraction of what the others got. No one was cheated. Everyone got the agreed wage. And so the reason a man who accepts Jesus on his deathbed can enjoy the splendor of heaven for all eternity, along with a man who has served God all his life, isn't because God is fair, it is because God is good. Think about this. Think of all the people who have suffered for the sake of the gospel, even to the point of giving their life. And then think how little we have suffered for the sake of the gospel. Humanly speaking, it would not be fair for us to even glimpse the beauties of heaven in light of what others have suffered for Christ. But you see, God is good. Think about salvation through the work of Jesus Christ and the cost of it. From a human standpoint, it is not even close to being fair. However, salvation is available to all. Not because God is fair, but because God is good. Romans 2 verse 4 says, It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. You see, when a person is not saved, when they know they are lost before God, and they know they should be saved, and God is speaking to the heart, that voice that keeps coming and saying, you need to give your heart to Jesus. That speaking, that knocking, that continual invitation to come is the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. And so this morning, if God is speaking to you, come. That is the goodness of God. The psalmist says four times in Psalm 107, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. In Exodus 33, we have the account where Moses entered into the tabernacle. The cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And in that encounter, Moses said to God, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God said to Moses there, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then if you go to the next chapter, chapter 34, Moses, he's there on Mount Sinai. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And it says in Exodus 34, 6, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth.
What an experience this must have been for Moses. And no wonder the skin of his face was radiant after this encounter with God. It says that when Moses came down off the mountain, he went back into camp and his face was shining bright. Folks were scared of him. I mean, they were scared. But you see, when an individual encounters the goodness of God, there's going to be a different look on their face. It may not be as radiant as Moses was, but it's going to be different. Later in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, in a song Moses wrote, he wrote this line, and this line is, he is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Right and just is he. What is this saying to us about the goodness of God? I believe it's saying God is generous and trustworthy without any deception or crookedness throughout all his character from beginning to end. He is the solid rock, unmovable, the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what the circumstances are or appear to be, God is good and God does good. Even when bad things happen, God can overrule that evil to bring good results. And I believe the story of Joseph is probably one of the best Bible examples of God overruling evil to bring about good results. There in Exodus or uh, Genesis 50, verse 20, when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he said th these words, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph was not saying his brother's past deeds towards him were no longer evil because God used them for good. Those past evil deeds remained evil and wicked. Evil will always be evil, even when God brings something good out of it. God's goodness is sovereign, and God has the power to bring good results out of the evil that people intend and even carry out. You see, God's goodness overcomes evil with good. I want to consider now a Bible character whose life was an example of goodness, and I invite you to Acts chapter 11. The character is Barnabas. We read about him in Acts 11 as well as several other places. Barnabas' life was an example of goodness. And let's see what we can learn from him here this morning. Acts 11, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears 
of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So what can we learn about goodness from a man named Barnabas? The first thing that stands out to me is verse 4. He was a good man, it says, and I believe he was a man of godly character. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus who was serving the Lord. His life was simply reflecting the goodness of God. And so he was known as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. The second thing that stands out to me about Barnabas was that he was available for the work of the Lord. Verse 22, he is headed to Antioch. Verse 25, he is headed to Tarsus. Verse 29, he is headed to Judea. He was a man that was available for the work of the Lord. The third thing I see about Barnabas that stands out, Barnabas was a happy encourager of others. Verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. You know, the name Barnabas actually means son of encouragement. Barnabas was a man who loved to see people succeed. His heart was free from envy. He was glad, it says, to see these new Gentile believers serving the Lord. He wasn't there to find fault, even though it does say that he did some teaching. He wasn't there to tell them how they were doing it all wrong, but he was there to encourage. You know, we could use more people like Barnabas in the church today. People who will humbly show this kind of goodness. I think there's a lesson here to be learned. The fourth thing that stands out to me about Barnabas, he was generous with his possessions. It would seem as though Barnabas was part of this gathering of relief for these folks in need in Judea. Back in Acts 4, verse uh, 37, we find that Barnabas, he sold land and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
And so he was a generous man, and I'm sure his generous spirit made it easy, easier for others to be generous. Generosity is contagious, and so his generous spirit, I believe, played into this thing of relief coming together for these folks in need. The fifth thing that stands out to me about Barnabas, he was trustworthy and also responsible. The collected relief in verse 29 needed to get to Judea. Barnabas, along with Saul, were assigned a task to get this relief to these folks in need, and so they did. So, in a nutshell, Barnabas' example of goodness shows us that goodness is simply a fruit of Christian character. Barnabas was a good man. Goodness is available. Goodness happily encourages others. Goodness is generous. Goodness is trustworthy and responsible. Goodness is God's love in action. And so we have considered the goodness of God and we have looked at an example of goodness lived out. What about us? As followers of Jesus Christ, how must we live out the fruit of goodness? We sing the song, Jesus went about doing good. The Bible tells us so. That song is actually taken from Acts 10, where Peter described Jesus to Cornelius and his family. Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We often think of the goodness of Christ with the many kind and caring things he did. But the goodness of Christ went way beyond the miracles. Jesus did what was right. His focus was doing the will of the Father. Many times he was given opportunity to do otherwise. He was tempted of the devil. Even his close friends and family tried to divert him from the will of God. Jesus demonstrated goodness through his integrity and diversions to do what was right, to do the will of the Father. Philippians 2, verse 8 says, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so, as followers of Christ, what is our calling? What is our calling today? Romans 12, 20 and 21 says, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Jesus said in Luke 6, 43 through 45, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bram bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? How true this is. People will easily boast of their charity, generosity, hospitality, their own goodness. Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. I would like to go now to a passage that gives us practical pointers on how goodness is to be learned and how it is to be passed along. You can turn to Titus. I will be reading from chapter 2 and from chapter 3. I'd like to begin by reading Titus 2, 1 through 7. Now, in this passage, it speaks to young men, older men, older women, younger women, I'm not going to make comment on this passage. You know where you fit into this, and you can just simply hear what it has to say to you. So let's begin with Titus 2, verse 1. And we're thinking about goodness and how it can be learned and how it can be passed along through the generations. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Now turn over to chapter 3, and here we have the basis for good works explained. It, Titus 3, verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, 
showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves were once sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works, that these are good and profitable unto men. Now, verse 14, I believe beautifully sums up the fruit of the Spirit, goodness. And notice what it says. And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Folks, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. You got it? <laughs> okay, in conclusion, not closing, in conclusion. At home I say, I tell them when I say in conclusion, don't start cleaning up the bench yet. Wait till I say in closing, okay? So in conclusion, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Let's face it, unless the Lord comes again, first, we are all going to die. It's gonna happen. So how do you want to be remembered? Or maybe a better way to ask that question is, how should we be remembered? Some of you may know we live across the road from a cemetery, and I find it interesting observing the funeral crowds. The funeral crowds will vary from just a few to very, very large. I've seen just a few cars neatly there in the cemetery. I've seen so many cars that the, the, uh, the, the cemetery is just jammed up. They're parked along the road. In fact, they even will pull into our driveway and park into our yard, and we don't, we don't care, but it's just amazing how many people showed up for that, for that uh, graveside service. Do you think it's possible that the size of the funeral crowd has anything to do with the amount of goodness shown in the life of the one who has died. In Acts chapter 9, we read about a woman named Dorcas, a woman who was full of good works and alms, deeds, which she did, many of. And it tells us there in Acts that she died. She became sick. She died. They washed her body and they laid it in an upper room. And so Peter, he was sent for, and, and Peter came, and when he arrived, they brought him 
into the upper chamber. And it says there in Acts that the, the widows were standing around weeping. They were holding up coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was still alive, of course. And there they are. This woman, Dorcas, must have been a very, very special person. The weeping, the reminiscing, and the fact that God saw fit to bring her back to life. And I believe the tears shed at a person's passing will often be equal to the amount of goodness shown in the life of the person who has died. And so now in closing, Galatians 6, 9 and 10 reminds us that let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness.